This episode may contain triggering content. If you or someone you know needs help, please contact the National Helpline for Substance Abuse at 1-800-662-4357. We used to have a game called Kill the Case. Everybody would get a case of beer, everybody meaning four other guys, and we'd sit there, start at 9 o'clock in the morning, whoever finished their 24 first won. That was my thing. I'd like to finish a six-pack in 18 sips. Just would be done, and I can get buzzed off of it. This moment is building you into your most powerful self, your strongest self, the person that you were born to be. So step into the light, stand in your full power, and remember who the fuck you are. Welcome back to the Remember Who the Fuck You Are podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Kristen. And today we're talking about alcoholism, addiction, and what it takes to overcome it. And I am joined by a friend that is more than 19 years sober and the author of the book, Ice Water, Please, My Life as a Proud Alcoholic and a Formula to Help One Person Stop Drinking Forever. Let's welcome Eddie Arana. Thank you very much, Ashley. Of course. Thank you for joining me today. Now, I know this past July, July 15th, we celebrated your 19th year of sobriety. Congratulations again. That's a very hard thing to do. Thank you very much. And when I saw you, I believe I told you that I had been sober and you're like, oh, what's the day? What's the date that, you know, your sobriety starts? And I'm like, I don't know. And you told me to find out. So today I am letting you know that I will be one year sober on October 29th. Whoa. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. But you know, the one year is probably the biggest milestone. Is it? Yes. I mean, there's, there's one week, there's a month, there's a hundred days, there's six months. The one year is the one. That's okay. the I'll major that. one. There better be some kind of dinner or something. Okay, I'll celebrate it. <laughs> That's important. Yeah. All right. So first things first, who the fuck are you? Who the fuck am I? I'm 60 years old, Peruvian descent. Uh, I have three children, and I just had a major milestone. I became a grandfather. Congratulations. Thank you very much. 31 days ago, and of those 31 days, I've held her 29. Sorry. No, take your time. It's like a really emotional thing for Sorry. Don't apologize. No apologies needed here. I can't believe I just got this emotional about it, but. My daughter, Sarah, where when I was drinking, she was the oldest of my three kids. So she really caught the major brunt of my alcoholism. There's several stories about her. And like there was one in particular where I, um, we were at a basketball game and she was scared of costumes at the time. And she still is. And I remember when we first came in, I brought her a little cupcake just to kind of calm her down. I could have given a shit about the game. I just want to be with my friends because we were going to drink afterwards. And then when she got there, she couldn't even get into the gym because the mascot was there. She goes, I can't go in. I can't go in. And I went fucking berserk. So I said, all right, fuck it. Let's go. 
and then we were out walking out into the parking lot and she was like, can I still have my cupcake? And I took the cupcake and I threw it like, no, you're not getting your fucking cupcake. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, like in my head, that was like the epitome of a shit dad, mm. like complete selfishness and as a direct result of my alcoholism directly there was no other reason so i made a promise to her when you have a child mm -hmm. i will never act like that wow i will have your child like my child sorry no apologies and uh so i've been with her 29 out of her 31 days of life wow and She'll never see that side of me, my granddaughter. Right. And hopefully that is somewhat of an amends to my daughter in a weird way. So I love that. Yeah. I that. love that. Congratulations again on Thank the you. grandbaby. Sorry. Don't apologize. This, you're welcome to be emotional yeah. here. Yeah. I think we get so used to like burying our emotion or holding oh my God, it in yeah. with inside that when it comes out and it's shown, we're wearing it on our sleeves, we yeah. apologize for it, just yeah. like unconsciously. Yeah. And it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. All right. So I kind of want to rewind a little bit. For those who haven't read your book, Ice Water, Please, how many years did you drink? I drank, I'd say heavily from age 17. Wow. Okay. So was it it started heavily. It wasn't a progressive thing or it started very heavily. I started out as a binge drinker. Okay. Like every time I drank, I would get drunk. Gotcha. The first time I drank, I was like, wow, this is heaven. This is like the best feeling I've ever had in my life. Like you have no problems. And in effect, I guess I chased it, that initial drunk, mm. till I was 41 years old. What was the moment you knew you had a problem? Like, oh, gosh, I need to start covering up my tracks of the things I'm doing. What was that moment? I'll give you an example. Late at night, I'd be drinking, I'd be drunk, and i go to the bathroom or whatever bar, restaurant, home I was in, and I would look in the mirror saying, why am I doing this? What the fuck is wrong with me? Okay, real quick, like a little check-in with myself, like almost yelling at myself by asking the question. But it went away within 20 seconds, ask the question, boom, and go right back out and drink. I think that those moments I'm telling myself, there's something wrong with you. And eventually we need to fix this. But today's not the day. Let's move on. Let's continue the party. Keep no drinking. No big deal. But let's just check in. And this is something we need to address. Put it on the calendar. Yeah. Today yeah, is not yeah, the day yeah, to yeah. have it. Not today. <laughs> not today. Because we're having good fun right now. But gotcha. this is not right. Something about this is not correct. Yeah. And I knew that. Yeah. From an early age, I knew that. Well, self-awareness. For me, I, I waited until I had to do something about it. Like to the point where I was physically sick because I had ruined the lining of my stomach. And it wasn't just from drinking. I was 
doing Adderall, 60 milligrams a day just to get out of bed and take a shower. And then that wasn't enough. And then it's like, okay, wait, I need to go to sleep. I need to calm down. I'll have some Xanax. But in between time, I'm going to drink. And I was so stressed and I was running a business that wasn't aligned with my purpose that I would pass out in public bathrooms on the floor because I was in pain. I couldn't even drink sparkling water because it it aggravated my stomach and I would get so sick. So today my drink of choice is sparkling water with a side of limes because it reminds me of my healing journey, my progress and how far I've come to heal not only my issues with using a substance to suppress my emotions and escape my reality, but also healing my stomach, healing my body in in a natural way and getting my shit together, basically. Let me ask you a question. Turn the tables on you a little bit. Okay. Do you believe that being sober is complete sobriety? Like no weed, no Adderall, no pills? That's an interesting question. So at first I'm like, yeah, maybe it is. But I've been off Adderall for like three years now. Haven't done that at all. I've had like a hit of a weed pen. Yeah. I've had a bite of an edible. That's not something I do often at all. But for me, I don't want to drink. I just do not want to drink. I never want to go back to that place. It does not feel good to me. I feel like shit. My body rejects it. And I don't want to do Adderall. That was so painful to get off of that I would cry because after getting off Adderall, like, you know how it's supposed to give you this focus and you kind of feel this feeling of euphoria. I couldn't focus for shit. Like I like had to research natural products to help me get like brain power back, basic brain power. The reason I ask it is sobriety is so individual. Like there isn't like, I just made a blanket statement like, are you completely sober, right? And you're like, oh, how do I, how do I answer? You know, it's like, it's so unique to the individual, right? But if you've conquered a thing like Adderall and a thing like drinking and your other thing isn't really an issue, I see the thinking of being completely sober, but I also see the other thing. And I'm, I say that, but I'm completely sober, whatever science says to do it we go to rehab or something it's it's in your head first and foremost you have to have in your mind do you want to stop yeah and if it's yes okay in my head you're 90 percent there all right making the decision and you're 90 percent there getting mad M-A-D, make a decision that's the first thing you got to do okay all right i like that a lot and i know so like for me I said that I drank and, you know, did Adderall. I needed to be productive, number one. But also it's like, ooh, reality is uncomfortable right now. What's going to give me this feeling of euphoria that it's fun, that I'm light, that I'm happy? And then there was probably some deeper stuff in it. And then so in your book, you talk a lot about really wanting attention and acceptance from women and friends. And at one point you say, I chose attention over morality What made you so afraid to be your authentic self? Because like you were super smart. You tried to hide that from people. Yeah. You like, or just, you just wanted to be this character. Why were you so afraid? I used to hide books. I would buy two sets of, I had my parents buy two sets of books for me in high school. So I would, we always have to take the bus home. I would never have books on the way home because I didn't want people knowing. Yeah, I had two sets of books. And as soon as I got home, I'd study. Yeah, like I, I definitely wanted like a 
like a cool factor, you know, and with women, that's a, a big one too. Like I felt, okay, I'm not, the guys that get women are the good looking guys, the tall guys are good athletes, the guys that have cars, mm -hmm. you know, and I didn't have any of that. So when I drank, I felt like, oh, wow, okay, now I have something. This gets me attention. Mm -hmm. that I've yearned for. And once you get a little attention, you want a lot of attention. And the way through that was drinking. And I'm like, okay, I could be this guy that drinks casually, like one of the normal people that just has one or two beers. But if I have 15 or 20, that's a big deal. I'm the coolest. I've had 24 beers. You only had six. Wow. We used to have a game called Kill the Case. Everybody would get a case of beer, everybody meaning four other guys, and we'd sit there, start at 9 o'clock in the morning. Whoever finished their 24 first won. Wow. Okay. That's yeah. quite a game. Yeah. Kill That's the an case. Game. Did you win a lot? I don't remember. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that was my thing. I'd like to finish a six-pack in 18 sips. Just would be done, and I can get buzzed off of it. So I guess, did you end up getting the girls? Did you end up keeping the friends? Did you end up being the cool guy from doing all this? Or was it like the exact opposite? No. As a matter of fact, that's what keeps you going, mm -hmm. right? But at some point, you get addicted to it. Right. I was chasing that drunk that I had in my mom's basement when I was 13 years old. You always chase that buzz. And and here's the thing that you always learn that you never catch it. <laughs> so did you feel like it gave you some type of superpower, so to speak? My whole thing was being popular and then getting attention, okay? And drinking got it for me. It was just like before cell phones and stuff. I was so anxious to hear, like somebody would call me. The, the, the next day, oh, what happened last night? You know, oh, you did this, you did that. And the crazier the stories, I felt the more attention I got and the better it was for me. Mm. Even negative attention was fine as long as I didn't, nothing illegal, which was fine too, mm -hmm. as long as I didn't get caught, you know, or hurt somebody. I almost like wanted that attention because it, it got me in my head popular. And it did. I mean, I'm not going to deny it. It did until it didn't, then people get tired of it. Like right now, when I go out, I have like a four hour rule. Mm -hmm. Like I can't be around people that are drinking for longer than four hours. The repeating, the loudness, and I was the king of that. I love to repeat shit over and <laughs> over and over because I think it's funny. I still think it's funny. But there's a limit to it. You know what I mean? Like that in my head was like like the epitome of being popular and I guess attention seeking. Fucked up thinking. I mean, now it's almost the opposite. Like what I'm doing right now is trying, I'm seeking that same attention and almost that same popularity by the opposite of drinking, which is sobriety. Okay. Okay. So like, I want to make a, a big thing in my book is 
make a big deal about your sobriety. Mm -hmm. Like you got a fucking year coming up, make a big deal about it. That way, the more people that know about it, the better. And in my head, it will prevent you from relapsing. More accountable you hold yourself. Accountability is the number one thing. These sayings of that AA has, like one day at a time, you first think they're so fucking stupid, but some of them really, really make sense. Mm -hmm. Like the one day at a time is a perfect example. Like you can't look at it like, all right, uh, in six months, I'll have a year and a half. Like this. It's it's overwhelming like that. Just think of one day. Like I used to have a calendar. I write that in the book. Like a big thing for me is do a calendar and every day that crosses, and like you said, two o'clock was your time. Mm -hmm. At two o'clock every day, well, I had it with a red marker. I'd cross it off. And, and it was like, in my head, another day, like a, another battle won. So it's one day at a time. And eventually you'll get there. Don't look at it in the grand, like, oh my God, I got in nine years, I'm going to have 10 years sober. It's never going to, it's going to be, it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. The one day at a time is the key. The way my mind works. Yeah. Like I know how I felt when I was like drinking or would like be like, I would get blackout drunk. I couldn't remember anything. If I do go out yeah. to the club or restaurant with my friends and you know, it's 2 a.m. and people are partying and trying to pour, you know, whatever down your throat. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm sober. And then people look like they're upset, like I'm ruining their fun. And it's funny to me because I'm like, how is my sobriety ruining your fun? Because I'm still dancing, but I'm not going to feel like shit tomorrow. And then it allows me to see a world, the world in a different way than when I was in it. Because when I was in it, it's like either I'm blackout drunk or I'm just such a mess that everything's like, oh yeah, let's go this and that. But now I'm looking and I, I can, honestly see not everybody's desperate but i can see the desperation in some people i can see the people that are trying to escape their reality i can see the people that are seeking validation i can see the people that don't know what the fuck they're doing i can see the people that are in danger of hurting themselves and putting them in harm's way so i'm just kind of looking at that and it's for me that's the interesting part about going out and i'm not judging or anything i'm simply taking it all in and honestly i'm like what a lens you have now yeah i'm just like i wish i could help the people, like, I wish that, I hope, number one, that they become aware if they do need that help and get whatever they need to give themselves. But it just reminds me of my purpose in the world. Like, I'm here and I went through what I went through because I'm here to help people that are having tough times that may not know how to deal with those tough times or what resources or tools to use or go to. You know, you said that you're looking at people at two o'clock in the morning or whatever, you're seeing this stuff. You would never... If you were drinking, you'd never realize it. Exactly. Nobody cares. Like next morning, like, I wonder how Ashley got home. First of all, they're, they're fucked up. They don't, and nor do they care. You know, that's like the thing. Like people are so concerned about everybody else. Like they think, what is so-and-so going to think about me? No, it's so minute. It doesn't matter. You know, that was like a, like that took a while to realize Nobody gives a shit. They really don't. Not in a bad about way. Themselves. They all live, live their own lives. Not a bad thing, but it's not an excuse for you to continue to live this life that you think is the best for you. 
Yeah. And people find things, you know, ways to justify to do what they really want to do. Right. But they use that as as a crutch. Yeah. Now, have you, now, I know you use liquor as this way to, you know, fill this buzz because it felt so heavenly and, you know, attention and make you the cool and popular guy. But were you also using it for other things like dealing with heavy emotions or trying to escape your reality? Was it ever some like a coping mechanism for you in that way? I used alcohol when I was happy. I used alcohol when I was sad. I used alcohol when I wanted to get happy. And I want, I used alcohol when I wanted to get sad. So every possible emotion, I used alcohol. That was my go-to for everything. Like it didn't matter because all I wanted to do was drink. All I wanted to do was get fucked up. And if I needed to find a reason, I'd find a reason. If I didn't have a reason, I didn't need a reason. I'm just going out. I'll find whoever wants to go out with me. Nobody wants to go out with me. I'll go up by myself, find somebody. It was so all-encompassing. It was all like such everything in my life. I, But I, I mean, I, I had this like really, really good job, like a white-collar job that, you know, you, you hide it. You try to hide it as best you can like wait till five o'clock so you can go you know but in that in your head you're like okay you reward yourself by doing a great job at work and then at five o'clock then you go nuts you know but you don't want people finding out because that would kind of ruin your fun Mm -hmm. but yeah i just i used it for almost every scenario in my life that had to end with me getting drunk really drunk. I like that chapter when you spoke about it being your mistress. I loved that. Because at first I'm like, he was shitting on TC. And then I'm like, oh, makes sense. Okay. I'm glad you recognized because people, they come up to if they read the book and they go, dude, that was so honest of you telling me, telling everybody that you you cheated on on your wife. And with, with, I'm like, dude, do you not you see that the cheating was with alcohol, right? And they're like, that's <laughs> yeah, who I cheated with. That's who with. you gave your energy to. Right. Yeah. I mean, I know, you know, alcohol made you feel like you were cool and you got attention. Like, what type of mindset shifts did it take to realize that that was a false belief? That, like, you weren't cool when you drank? The mindset shift has to be, I think it can only occur when you're sober. Because when you're going, like, my whole life, was let's say I'm sober during the day, right? But I'm not really sober because all I'm doing is I'm thinking about my next drink, okay? I talk in about, uh, uh, here's another AA term. I hate to use AA terms, but they're so appropriate sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like the actual alcoholism itself, it's not the drink. They call it the thought that precedes the first drink. Mm -hmm. When I plan the whole fucking day out in order to have that drink, that's the alcoholism. All right, now in your book, you also talk about money writes a lot of wrongs, right? And you're referring to how like buying drinks for people at the bar pretty much made them put up with you longer. Was there any other instance where like money and connection like got you out of trouble or kind of like made it okay? God, yeah. Whether it's, a male, a girlfriend, wife, 
you know, a work situation, a health situation. Health, big one. Where money can't get you out of it. If you don't have your health, you ain't got shit. Boom, there it is. Right? So, yeah, I mean, the money helps the connection's a lot. Out. Okay? But it just, it sometimes prolongs the problem. You know, where if you have money, you can fix it all so much till you can't anymore. Yeah. And then it's the inevitable happens. Then you can take a a real hard fall. Yeah. I think that and eventually I would think, at least for me and my experience, that you'll have this inner war. I mean, we all have that inner dialogue, but you want peace of mind. And I mean, I guess a substance is easy to say, let me numb it. But at the end of the day, you know, to be able to live a life without having to depend on something outside of you to really truly feel good, to genuinely feel joyful, to feel free mentally, physically, finding every freedom in the world, like that inner peace. I think eventually at that point, wouldn't you go seeking inner peace? Right. Yeah. I never, I never heard it like that, but it's so true. Like you thought there's so many people like you question like, Oh, do you think that I might have a problem? Somebody's, you just know Mm -hmm. it is so easy to figure out you know like is my life better with this particular substance in my case alcohol or is it better now and if it was better with alcohol i'd still be drinking right no question about it because i loved everything about it except for the taste i loved the attention i was getting i loved how it made me feel i love and if that was the case if nothing happened to me Bad? Fuck. I'd still, you know, who cares about the taste? I'd still be drinking. I'd be drinking right now. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. Now, I know that you wrote your book. A lot of talk about the book, but it's just so relevant. It's yeah. just so, you know, like, because, and and I love the way you wrote it because it's like, these were your thoughts when you were an alcoholic. And then you write it from your perspective of being sober, kind of like, how dare I think that way? But then you also write these apology letters to people that you hurt. It seemed very therapeutic. What else was a part of your healing process? Because that seems like it was a really big part of your healing process. When I first wrote the book, it was, you get like an editor, right? Mm -hmm. And I sent it to the editor, who was a, a girl in New York City. And she goes, you wrote a collection of drinking stories. If you want to sell, I don't know how many friends you have, close friends, 15. If you want to sell 15 copies, you wrote the perfect book. Mm. They're all going to enjoy this book of yours. She goes, you know what? You're the like the main character. You're the hero in the book. I don't even like you in this book. I don't even like you personally. I'm like, she goes, I want to know who Eddie Arana is. I want to know about his family. I want to know about his parents. So it took me six months mm. to rewrite everything. Like it was very therapeutic to even get that kind of, I was like, oh, fuck, you're so right. And then when I wrote it, it was like, I would break down when I wrote it. Like, you know, like, my God, I really, my parents took the brunt of this. My ex-wife took the brunt of this. My kids took the brunt of this. This is wrong, and it was 100% my fault. Mm -hmm. And those were my thoughts. Always were my thoughts, but just writing it down was like, 
ah, okay, this is the alcoholism. This is what happens to alcoholics. This is how I can help somebody, even one person, and now you try to live a life where, okay, you realize that and you you try to fix it. Yeah. Wow, that was a journey of writing that yeah. book. Because I, I, like you can feel the vulnerability, really opening yourself up to those feelings. A big part of it, yeah. Not only you, but realizing what your family felt. All right, let's take a quick break. What would it feel like to be completely satisfied in all areas of your life? Being healthy and happy, having peace of mind, great relationships, complete freedom, deeper levels of joy and pleasure, and the clarity and focus to create your best work. Your sexual energy gives you the power to do this because it's good for more than just sex. It's a powerful creative force that can be used to create anything you want in life. And I want to help you harness that power in my new digital experience where pleasure is transformed into power. This is a VIP level experience for a small group of people. So be the first to know when doors open this spring by signing up for the VIP list at ashkristen.com slash VIP. That's A-S-H-C-H-R-I-S-T-E-N dot com slash VIP. Let's get back to the show. So after getting sober, you're sober now, how do you deal with regret and guilt? Is there any? Oh, my God. Every day. Well, first of all, anybody, any alcoholic who says they don't want to drink anymore is lying. Okay. I still want to drink every day. I romanticize alcohol. Okay. I just know, compartmentalize my thoughts. I I know this is bad. Therefore, I'm not going to do it. Mm. Okay. It's very simple, but what I want to do is drink, okay? For whatever reason, it's it's a disease, so that disease always sticks with you. And in terms of dealing with the regret and guilt, living a life now for my kids, really for my ex-wife too, is I want to show them that I have changed, that the sober me is different. Yeah, I make the same jokes, I make the same, I do crazy shit, but it's not as a result of my drinking. They're conscious thoughts. You still have that personality, but without any of the negative stuff that alcohol brings, like arrests. Still saying stupid shit, but not over the line stuff that you know is going to hurt somebody. Right. So I guess that's a good question. That's, it's hard. I've, I do have a lot, a lot of regret still. I mean, it's been almost 20 years and it's still like, even this interview just bringing, I'm like, Oh shit. Yeah. That was not great. Interesting. So it's like one thing for the people that, you know, we heard and all that to forgive us. It's another thing for us to forgive ourselves. That's usually very hard for us to do. Have you forgiven yourself? Obviously not. I mean, just how I've been reacting today, even just thinking about this like podcast and what I'm saying and how I'm like reacting emotionally. No, 
will you forgive yourself? Because that's a that's a big one. Apologies to wives and, and, and kids and they can say, hey, Eddie, hey, dad, I forgive you. You know, you started fresh. This is a new path. Let's make the best of this. Can you do that for yourself? Good question. I don't know. I, I guess the best way to answer it is I obviously haven't. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, maybe that's part of, you know how you keep chasing that buzz, that initial buzz, and what makes you just keep drinking? Maybe that I'm catching, I'm trying to catch an ultimate sobriety thing that I'll never get to. You know what I mean? But this is like a vicious circle, but in a good way. Yeah. Like, okay, like then I guess I just got to keep staying sober until it happens. Maybe it doesn't happen for a good reason. Again, the mind fuck mind is fuck still going with you. That's interesting because I was actually going to ask you, like, you've let go of or you've been able to kick this one addiction. Has it been replaced by another? And it can be a healthier one, but it sounds like sobriety is your new addiction. One thousand percent. Like whatever replaced this attention seeking, popularity wanting, filling my time of my free time if I'm not working yeah 1000% like I go to I don't know between 3 and 5 AA meetings a week and if I don't go I feel horrible like I'm missing something out in life but yeah like you know writing this book like doing this like ordinarily this is like way out of my comfort zone really I yeah. wouldn't have guessed that yeah, yeah. you're so like yeah no 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 but I love talking about my alcoholism to like not in a formal setting like this, but like to anybody who wants to listen to it, like a lot of people in AA, like younger people, especially like, I I think that's like such a huge deal when young people get sober and they're not going to listen to like a 60 year old man. Okay. Cause I know how I would have felt like if somebody, Oh, this guy's fucking 20 years sober. I don't know. I don't want to hear about it. That's why I like to go to meetings that have like very little sobriety. Like the people are just almost at, like even people that have be court ordered. I love that, you know, cause then they're like, okay, they're, they're, they're in the middle of it. They, they don't like, that makes to me like sobriety boring. I like the, the, Hey man, they have this exciting story about their, what they did, which is never boring to me. Like everybody's story is so different. And I, I love to hear about it. And then even interject a little thing that they have to say, like, especially if they ask me, what really got you sober? I'll say, oh, well, getting divorced, you know, like the thought of losing my kids. Like, you know, these are all results of what's going to happen to you. Talk to like a guy that's 21 years old and he's in, uh, they'll say he had a DUI or something and he, or, you know, he's in court and he's ordered to go to, to some treatment or AA meetings, they're not looking 10 years. They're looking now to get out of this so they can continue their life. Right. But maybe there's that one guy who says, man, if I stop drinking now, holy fuck, I could have another 60 years of this great life that this Eddie is talking about. Mm Mm-hmm. Nobody ever thinks like that, but what if there is that one person that does? 
That's powerful. So young people that get sober, wow. That's the best. And there's a lot of them. But yeah. the, the problem is staying sober. Yeah, that's the that's the challenge. It's yeah. like one thing to do. Getting sober is not that hard. Yeah, staying, staying sober, sober is the hard. challenge. I yeah. agree with that. And just even going back to you talking about, you know, you were going through a divorce, you were in danger of losing your kids and everything. Like, can you tell us more about the moment you decided to get sober? Well, my lawyer told me, probably I should go to one of these AA meetings, this bullshit, you call them bullshit AA meetings. He goes, I know you don't have a drinking problem, but why don't you just go? Judges like to hear that shit that you're trying to get ahead of it. My lawyer knew I had a drinking problem and he was nice enough to just say, Hey, just go to these meetings, right? I'm like, all right. So the first meeting I went to, there was about 15 people at the meeting, okay? And when they all start, I don't know if you've ever been to one, but they start by saying, they read a bunch of shit and then like this sharing time, right? And before everybody shares, they say, hi, my name is Ashley, I'm an alcoholic. My name is Eddie. I'm an alcoholic, right? So this is my first meeting. And people are sharing, right? And I, I'm counting the people ahead of me. There's 11 people in front of me. I'm 12 and there's three after me, okay? And everybody is saying, my name is so, I'm an alcoholic. And I'm like, fuck, I don't want to say this, okay? Because I'm not an alcoholic, even though I'm, it's got a DUI, <laughs> all this shit happened. Clearly I was, but in my head, I'm like, I'm not, you know, I, I knew I was, but I don't want to admit to anybody, right? So I'm like, fuck, 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 fuck. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Like number seven or eight goes, hey, my name is Bill. I'm just going to pass tonight. I'm like, holy fuck. You can say that. And I was like, that's perfect. I'm going to say that. I'm still going to meetings. They're still going to sign my sheet, present it to my lawyer and blah, blah, blah. So number 10 goes, hi, I'm John. I'm an alcoholic. My time came and I said, hey, my name is Eddie and I'm an alcoholic. I was like, holy fuck. I said, it was like the biggest weight off my shoulder that you could ever imagine. Like in my mind, I was admitting to the world, which was a group of 15 other drunks, that I had this problem, which I never admitted before, only to myself. I never publicly admitted it. Like I always knew, but I didn't want anybody else knowing. Okay. I needed, I, I love this life of mine that obviously I was perfect and there was nothing wrong with it. And I didn't want anybody screwing it up. Right. So when I said it, and then I kind of like broke down and talked about why I was there. I got into a car accident and I just like, wow. And after the meeting, like all these people came up to me and wanted to talk to me. I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> I like, okay, I said it. Get me the fuck out of here. Right. I ran into my car and I turn on the radio and I hear, I can see clearly now the rain is gone. And like, and I heard that song a million times, right? I can see clearly now. I love the song. But then the words were like, holy fuck, I can see clearly now. The, the rain is gone. I can see all 
obstacles in my way. And I was like, in my head, I'm like, I'm never drinking again. Mm. That was the first time I ever decided. Like, I got mad. That's when I made a decision. So I am a huge believer in signs and that there's a higher power, whether you want to call it God, the universe, there's a higher power that's always leading us to our path of purpose. And that's that's how I view that in the book when you wrote about it. Do you believe that this is your purpose? Like your purpose was to get sober so that you can live to tell about it and then help other people. As you get more sobriety, then it's like, okay, I don't want to drink anymore. and I want to help people, right? That's all. Like when I wrote the book, I hate like, there's like 12 steps of AA, right? And I'm not, like I always say, I'm on step one, which is, I don't even know what it is, but you've, you, it basically says, you know, you have a drinking problem, mm-hmm. okay? And the other 12, I mean, I know what the 12 steps are, but I've never formally done them. Gotcha. Right? When I wrote the book, I hadn't been to a meeting in a couple of years, like five years, something like that, okay? And then when I I finished the book, then I started going to meetings again, okay? Like kind of like read getting into AA, mm-hmm. okay? And then when I wrote the book, and then I really started getting into like what the different steps mean and everything like that. I was like, well, step one is you become, you realize you, life has become unmanageable, I don't even know what it is, but it means your life is unmanageable. And when I wrote the book, I wrote the 12 steps without even knowing it. Interesting. All 12. It's like amazing. Like the with the making amends, the last step is helping other alcoholics. Interesting. Okay. And it was like, holy fuck. It was like the 12 steps in a book in fucked up order and fucked up ways you're saying it, but it was, everything was like, wow, I couldn't believe it. Like my life has become unmanageable. Yes. Check, make amends, check, do this moral inventory, check, finally try to help other alcoholics. That's part of your sobriety is helping other alcoholics that keeps you sober. So now that's a big one for me. Like I like to, if somebody needs my help, I'm there. Like it's life and death. You know, when you're sober, you realize that more. But when you're in it, you think you're invincible. You could easily die, especially the driving part. Legal issues like going to jail yeah. helps because there's no, you know, you can stay sober in You're jail. like, I'm rock bottom at this right. point. Right. And if you get away with shit, it like kind of prolongs it. Yeah, I yeah. Yeah, I can see that. So, what was your support system like then, like during the process of getting sober? Cuz I know when I first started to like get sober, you know, I have friends that, you know, you don't really want to say no to, but eventually you have to, but they continue to try to pressure you to do the things that are the bad habits because they're still doing the bad habits. I created boundaries to say, "Hey, listen, this is what I'm doing for me. If you can't respect that, then this friendship can no longer move forward. What were some boundaries you created? Were there any? Yeah, my kids were my main one that, you know, whenever I knew, like my first couple years of sobriety, I would text them. Either All three, I'd have them all on a thing. Hey, I feel like drinking. I knew what their answer was going to be. And it's not going to be, 
oh, one's not going to hurt you, Dad. Yeah. They knew the effect. Okay, so they'd be like, no, don't. You better not. Where are you? I'll come get you. We'll be with you. And I knew that's going to be the answer. So every time I felt like drinking. You text your kids. Boom. But there's also like, there was also these things that I, I have them. I still have them. Like now it's like maybe once a year. They're called like this uncontrollable desire to drink. Really? Yeah. I have them like every day is like a little bit, but some like probably like once or twice a year, you really have it. And that's when you should, the, the thing to do is like a tool is your go-to person. In case it's my kids, you say, hey, I feel like drinking. And right there, you get a bombardment of, you better not. Gotcha. That helps. I mean, and you know the answer, but it's just right. like, it's almost like you a, need the reinforcement. It's a physical thing. And you need the reinforcement, which, you know, obviously I've, it's never followed through with it, but it's there. It's weird too. Like, like you think you, and, and you know, a lot of times people, they start sobriety, right? And they think that the hardest part is, oh, well, I got to go to this party, right? This is going to be hard for me not to drink at this party. For me, those were the easiest times not to drink. Mm. The hardest was when you're by yourself. Yeah. Right? I agree with that. Yeah. Like the, the, and especially if there's other people around you that know you're not drinking, that's easy. Yeah. If you grab a drink and people are seeing you, they'll be like, fuck you, you're not drinking. When you're by yourself and you have all these, like, there's nobody saying anything to you, and the whole mind fuck your mind is saying, one drink is not going to kill me. I am going to be able to handle it. I'm not driving. One drink is going to be fine. Period. Mm -hmm. Wrong. So you got to text those people. In those cases, I, you know, that's really in early sobriety. You get that, mm. right? But you, at that at that point, you're already. You're having that thought. And again, the thought that precedes the first drinks, the alcoholism, and that'll always win. It's hard, like, to control that. That's a really hard one to control. Like, when you think, ah, it's not going to be that bad. That's when you really need, like, tools. You really need, like, your decision had to be final. If you're going to be influenced that easily by yourself, your own thoughts, you got to go back and think, how did I get here? Think about the bad. Think about when you got arrested. Think about when your wife divorced you, when you're not able to see your kids. Uh, instead of, well, one drink's not going to kill me. That it, it will kill you. I think um, my tool or process, I don't necessarily have like this, like, oh, gosh, I need to have a drink. But there are times when I'm like, oh, fuck. I'm just so frustrated or I'm so uncomfortable or I don't know what I'm feeling. I could just have a drink right now. I could just have a glass of wine. I'm like, fuck, I don't want a glass of wine. That's not going to help me. That's going to put me right back where I started. Then I'm going to have one glass of wine and that'll lead to five glasses of wine. Yeah. And I'm going to be pissed off at myself. What can I do? So like my coping mechanisms, not proud of it, but it's like I'll find some sugar to eat or I'll impulsively shop. But that's like if I'm like, but then I catch myself eventually. I don't always go there, but if it's really bad, I'll catch myself and I'm like, clearly I know what's coming up. I do this work on a regular. I have the tools to be able to regulate these emotions and understand that whatever the fuck I'm feeling right now is a tool to guide me to where I need to be. So first I identify how I'm feeling. 
Second, what is it trying to tell me? Third, like journal that shit out and figure out like what I'm going to receive because I'm receiving something out of this. The universe is going to send me some type of sign or confirmation, whether it's a song, a movie through another person. I'm like letting this shit go and I'm really shifting the energy here. So like I use my tools as often as I can because that's and that's what I teach other people how to do. But sometimes you just get caught up and I'm like, I need a cupcake. I need a cookie. Yeah. I need to go on Amazon and just buy everything that's in my damn cart. (laughs) That's not going to kill you. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, it's not going to kill you. That's that's absolutely fine. I'd. I'm like a what they call a scorekeeper, mm-hmm. okay? So my thing, a, a big part of mine was, you know, I was telling you about the red X's. Mm-hmm. Like my number of days was everything to me, okay? So I don't even know what would have happened to me if I would have relapsed, okay? Because a relapse is a big part of a lot of people's stories. Mm-hmm. And believe me, I tried to quit drinking well over 100 times, Okay. A week, three weeks, usually a month was the tops I could ever make. But after that, I felt like pretty good about myself and I would kind of celebrate it by drinking. Oh, I don't have a problem. I didn't drink for three weeks, Mm -hmm. right? But once I started like in my head, okay, I'm done. That's it. That red X, that in my head was, if I blew my sobriety, like in my head, my life is over. Like it was, and I don't know if it's the healthiest way to do it, but that's what I did. You know, so now I'm looking forward to 20 years coming up on July 15th. That's a big one. Okay. And even in AA, 20 years is huge. huge. Time just goes by so slow. Everybody I've talked to agreed with me, by the way. So be careful. Okay. I know a guy. Looking forward to that. Listen to this. I know a guy that relapsed at day 364. Purposely. Self-sabotage. Purposely. Why? Because he didn't. He was afraid of getting sober. Wow. Self-sabotage. Self-sabotage. A perfect word. Interesting. Yeah. Be careful that year. And then here's another thing. You have that. You were going to have that dinner that night, right? That night. Let's not do it the day after. You never know. Do right? it that night. Yeah. That night. So you have this thing to look forward to and nobody. And tell as many fucking people as you want, I got this one year. Continue to make these big deals out of your progressions. Interesting. Now, does this have to be like a big part or can it be like an intimate group? Like It can be whatever you want it to be. Okay. I'm asking because like, I feel like when I tell, like, for the most part, my friends are supportive, you know, associates yeah, and everything. Yeah, have those people there. But there are people that think it's a joke. Like, oh, you stopped drinking for a year. That's cute. Like, when are you going to start again? It's not a joke. It's a serious thing. I'm going to tell you how, what helped me because I'm like outrageous, right? So I want to keep the sobriety as outrageous as the drinking was, okay? You're not outrageous, right? I, I'm pretty I'm pretty relaxed. Right. So keep it relaxed okay. just like keep you are. Keep the same energy. Yeah, the same way. So there's no, you're doing stuff the right way. You're only just not drinking. Have that same energy of your, you're a relaxed person. I'm not. Maybe I'll have a sobriety event, a meditation circle or something. Yeah. That's cool. I want to get into your life right now. How is it different than before you were sober? What's it look like? What's it feel like? 
I know you said you got a granddaughter and you're so happy that you've been able yeah. to be there for her. What else are you doing in life that's like, man, I'm so excited about this. I would never be able to do this if I was still drinking. Okay. Every day I have a to-do list. Okay. Okay. Make bed, walk. Okay. I just put out all my little accomplishments in every day. I look forward to every day. Like there's no weekend for me. Okay, Monday is a weekend. Yeah. I have my own business. I'm a ticket broker, which is great. I love that. And I just like live life, look forward to going to AA meetings. You know, I'm going one tonight. Okay. There's somebody there I know is getting their 60 day chip. I bought that. There's, they, they give like, they give little shitty chips in AA that aren't really that good. And I go and I get like a really good chip. Okay, like get it online and stuff, like 20 bucks, but whatever, They make right? really good AA chips. It's a good chip, right? It's like gold-plated. And I'm going to hand this motherfucker that chip, and, make, and I'm looking forward to making this his day. There's another, a woman, that I'm going um, Thursday to another AA meeting. She used to come, she came in the meetings with her son, okay? She has a 100-day sober to kind of support her son, who's like, 70 days sober, okay? Now, through all this journey, she's like, oh my God, I'm a horrible alcoholic. And she went public with her alcoholism on Facebook like two days ago mm. because of me. And I'm getting her a 100-day chip, which are unheard of. Nobody has those. I found one. Wow. And because they only do like months in AA and I got her a 100-day chip, which I'm going to give her on Thursday. I'm looking forward to that. You know, so, and, you know, like my grandchild, obviously, just being with my kids, living life, like not having to be scared to answer the phone. Mm -hmm. Everybody has that, right? When you wake up in the morning, piecing together the night, mm -hmm. right? Like how many times have you woken up when you're drinking and said, why the fuck did I do that? God, I wish I would have gotten fucked up last night. Right after I stopped drinking, I woke up after going out, not drinking, just drinking water. And I woke up like expecting to have a headache. So I had a headache. And then I go, wait a minute. I didn't drink last night. Why the fuck do I feel like right. shit? And then I started feeling better. Like, fuck, I was so programmed to believing right. that I should feel yeah. like shit in the That's morning. That's an excellent point. But you never have like ever, I wish I would have gotten drunk last night. Ever. No. It's not even close. It's like, I'm so happy that like well, it's, it's not even I that. kept it, it together. It's not <laughs> even it's not even that. It's it's more like you don't miss the bad. Yeah. You know, you don't say, Oh God, I wish I would have gotten drunk last night. Yeah. Why? Because the, the the euphoria is while you're drinking. It's right. not the next day. Exactly. The next day's bad until you start again. Mm -hmm. And until you ground yourself again. You make, think you make yourself feel better again. Yeah. This time you get the whole day, wake up. I listen to this. I overslept today and I got up at 645 and it fucked up my whole day. Like I couldn't go on my walk. But think about that. When you oversleep. And so what about now? Do you feel healthier? Do you feel more energized? Listen, I'm an alcoholic, okay? My problems remain the same. They just don't get worse. I know how to deal with stuff. I deal with them, not by drinking, but by trying to solve them in a normal fashion. You know what I mean? Sobriety doesn't make you this great 
person. It just gives you the tool to live life and gives you, I think, a better chance to be a better person. Mm. Okay, now you have a conscience. Now you have, a, you know, all this other reasons to be good. You know what I mean? You don't have, you don't have an excuse to be bad. Now, I want to talk about, because a lot of times people, the people that may be listening, maybe they know someone or maybe them themselves, you know, may have a problem, but may not really be accepting of that, may still be in denial or trying to find reasons to justify why they don't have a problem. What are some signs you need to seek help? It's very personal, Mm -hmm. but it's so obvious, okay? Like, for example, if you went to jail as a direct result of your drinking, probably have a problem. Mm -hmm. If you are getting divorced because of your drinking, you probably have a problem. If you are losing friends as a direct result of your drinking, you probably have a problem. You really just know. You really just know. And if you don't, the law will tell you or your friends will tell you or your family will tell you. And then I, that's when I would suggest listen to them. Yeah. Well, yeah. Fair advice. And so what would you say the most important thing you need to know about overcoming addiction? If you're going to get sober to keep a girlfriend, keep a boyfriend, it's not going to work. If you're going to get sober for your children, it's not going to work. It might work for a little bit. In the long run, it's not going to work. You have to make a decision for yourself. It's selfish time. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, I firmly believe it's not going to work ever. If you get sober, it never makes your life worse. I mean, can you imagine a scenario like that? Fuck, my life was so much better when I drank. Mm -hmm. Okay? No, ever, ever. You might think it is. A lot of people... It's not not like a mind fuck thing. They think, I was so much happier when I was drinking. Okay, then why aren't you still drinking? Why did you even think about quitting? Because all this shit happened to me. Okay, then it wasn't. Mm -hmm. You have to make a decision for yourself. Make a decision for yourself. Get mad. M-A-D. Yes, I I love that. I'm all about prioritizing self in the healthiest way. Yeah. And so obviously your book is a great resource for anybody that is looking to get sober or for people that even have loved ones that struggle with drinking problems. Is there any other resources that you would suggest other than your book and AA? I was so scared of AA when I first was suggested to go to a meeting, mm-hmm. right? I'm like, these people are losers, okay? I pulled in in a Mercedes. There's people there walking there, taking their bicycles there, taking a bus there, okay? I look down on that. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing here? You know, I don't, I'm just doing this to kind of get out of my court case, get out of my DUI, right? I am better than these people. What happened was that they're going to continuous meetings once a week. That's where I'm going like twice a week. I was like, this is kind of fun. I see, I started, then I started bringing like hamburgers to the meetings, pizzas, shit. You know, like nobody ever did that. I was like a maverick in that, right? People would like, they'd have like 
everybody would, like have coffee and cigarettes. And I'm like, I don't want any of that shit. <laughs> I want like a hamburger, right? So everybody was like, wow, I go, this mean Eddie brings hamburgers, right? And you start listening to people's stories and like they're all so different, like remarkably different in a lot of ways, but in other ways, 100% exactly the same. They drank, they used drugs, a bad thing happened, now they're here, period. Not they drank, really good things happened to them, now they're here. Why would they be there? Bad things happen, now you're there, okay? So it took me like a year to get in that mindset where, oh my God, I'm judging these fucking people. I'm, I am at that level, if not worse, just because I'm thinking the way I'm thinking, looking down on that. I'm worse than these people. They're, they're trying to get help, and I'm here trying to get out of a fucking court case, looking down, laughing at them. So I would highly suggest that for people that even think they have a drinking problem. They go to different meetings. Like some meetings suck, like are horrible. Like mm -hmm. they make you want to drink more, you know, but some of them are like, oh, wow. And one other thing they say in AA is look for the similarities, not the differences. Mm. So like a lot of people look at it and say, just like I did, I came here in a, do you guys show up in a bike? I'm not like you. I don't have these kind of clothes that you have on. Differences, differences, differences. Yeah, I got a DUI. Oh, shit, I got a DUI. Let's hear it. Similarity. Only concentrate on the similarities. That's, you, in AA will really, really work for you. I think that's a great perspective just in general in life. If we learn to look at the similarities we have right. versus the differences, then we could probably be more loving and compassionate individuals toward each other. Right. And well, it's it also it starts in in AA. I mean, there's different levels of addiction and like alcoholism, drug abuse. Like sometimes AA is not gonna help. Mm. Okay. Like if you're really, really, really fucked up, you need treatment. And I highly suggest professional help. You know, you can read my book and be like, who gives a fuck? You know, like, but some people, like there's different levels. And that's what another thing I've learned NAA, that if you don't get treatment, like professional help, people that really, really know what they're doing, you might never make it. Mm. You go to a hospital and say, I need help. I'm a fucking alcoholic. I'm a drug addict. They'll help you. Yeah. Oh, thank you for that. Yeah. Where else can we learn more about you and what you're doing in terms of helping people get sober? And where can we buy the book? The book is available on Amazon. You know, you can uh, go to my uh, Facebook page. I have a Ice Water Please Facebook. Thank you so much for joining me today, sharing your story. You are greatly appreciated. Thank you very much. It was a lot of fun. Now it's time for the super tool of the episode. Each episode will end with something that'll help supercharge your life, health, relationships, and business. This week, it is a powerful group of questions to ask yourself. If you are someone that uses anything outside of yourself, so 
whether it's a substance like alcohol or it's a drug or anything to really cope with uncomfortable emotions, to escape your reality, to feel like you need to have those things to make up for what you lack in life. I really want you to connect with your body first and ask yourself, what is it that you really feel? And whatever that emotion is, once you identify it, I want you to ask, what is this emotion really trying to tell me? Because it's not trying to tell you to quiet it down. It's not trying to tell you to suppress it because it'll always come back up. So what is the message? What do you need to give yourself in order to use this emotion as a tool to shift your life into a better place rather than to continuously suppress it and follow that cycle of drinking or smoking or eating or impulsively shopping or consuming in any way. And we want to hear from you. Please share your questions and stories with us over on our Instagram at Remember Who Podcast. You may just hear them on the air. Thanks for joining us today. For more tools, resources, and access to behind-the-scenes content, follow us on Instagram at Remember Who Podcast. And if you haven't already, please follow the show, rate, and review us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks. Until then, remember, you are appreciated, you are valued, and you are enough. Have a good one. Thank <laughs> you.